Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel won by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chase by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Herb Smith touchdown. 5-5 rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host. Darren Pritchett. We continue our Notre Dame football recap of the win over UNLV 44-21. I'm Darren Pritchett, now joined by my co-host for Game Day Sports Beat, powered by Michelob Ultra. We'll have the breakfast edition coming up this Saturday as Tyler and I will be on the air from 9 until 11 from our WSBT studios with Notre Dame playing at Syracuse at noon, Tyler Horka joins me here on WSBT Radio. Well, the Irish got what they wanted, a fast start, which was good news, as they put up 23 points in the first quarter. They put up 44. They give up 21, which is, I think, a little disappointing, despite only giving up 299 yards and like 120 of that on two plays. So I'll just kind of leave this question very generically to you, Tyler. They won 44-21. Would you call this a satisfying victory as you look at how this football team played against UNLV? Nope, I would not. And if you ask my coworker Patrick Engel, who comes on your program from time to time, he wrote the same thing at blueandgold.com, his postgame column. I think it was titled why Notre Dame's victory over UNLV left a little bit to be desired or maybe in some people's eyes, a lot to be desired because like you said, you just said two of the, two of the plays accounted for what, 120 yards, maybe more of those 299 yards that UNLV had. Where have we heard that before? Go back to the North Carolina game where about 150 of their yards came on two plays and both of those were touchdowns and the two plays in question against UNLV set up two of UNLV's three touchdowns. So, the fact that you're seeing things resurface from week to week, that's the definition of not getting stuff done throughout a week that you can build upon and progress with and get better at because that's what a college football season is all about. You've got 12, 13 weeks to get better from week to week, and we're seeing some of the same things problematic-wise with Notre Dame week after week, and even with the offense. Your quarterback completed 50% of his passes again. That's not going to get it done. When you're playing teams like Syracuse, teams like Clemson, the next two games for Notre Dame are against two of the top 15 defenses in the country. Clemson's might not be there yards-wise because they had a bad day against Wake Forest. and uh, It just hasn't been as good as you think it would be when you, when you think of Clemson and all the talent that they have. But that's a really good defense over there. If you watch that Syracuse-Clemson game, then you know it. So this was UNLV, a team that – does not have nearly as much talent across the board as 
uh, ACC powerhouses of 2022. Syracuse and Clemson are a couple of those. So I would not consider it a, a big win, no matter what Marcus Freeman says in the postgame press conference or what he said today on Monday. Yeah, it's a win, and Notre Dame needs those desperately this season. It was a 500 football team going to that game, but uh, another thing that you see resurfaces, Audric Estime's fumble, and Notre Dame had to settle for a bunch of field goals again. Blake Groupie attempted four of them. He missed one of those. It was a pretty lengthy one, but you see Notre Dame get into the plus side of the field and just kind of stall out, and some of that is Drew Pine not making very good passes, or, or maybe some of that is scheme, and, and those are just all things that are not going to work against but against teams, which if you read blueandgold.com yesterday, and obviously some people probably knew this beforehand, three of Notre Dame's final five games are coming against teams that are currently ranked in the top 16 of both the coaches mm. poll and the AP poll. This is not going to be a cakewalk. Marcus Freeman said it today. If we don't play well, we're not going to win some of these games. So it's, uh, it's time to figure out if Notre Dame can actually get better and improve at some of those problem areas. Drew Pine against UNLV, 14 of 28 for 205, two touchdowns, another pass batted at the line of scrimmage that was intercepted. He was at 72% completion percentage going into Stanford. Now he's at 63.7%. Let me read you a stat. I want to give credit to Greg Fleming of Irish Sports Daily. The last two weeks when Drew Pine is at a clean pocket, Tyler, he is 45 of 28, I'm sorry, 25 for 48 for 52%, 340 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. That is seven yards per attempt, which is considered average or maybe even a tad bit toward mediocre. So when you see the job that the offensive line has done creating a pocket for him, and I know Lorenzo Styles dropped another pass, that's not on Drew Pine. But I also saw Braden Lindsey running free in the secondary and was missed for a second straight week for a touchdown. So seeing how Pine is performing with a clean pocket, how much of a concern is that for you? It's definitely concerning. But you've seen that he can do it when maybe even the offensive line wasn't even playing as, as well as it is now against BYU. I would say he had a pretty good game albeit he had one of those batted interceptions that you mentioned. North Carolina, he definitely had a good game. So it's concerning, definitely, because 50% isn't good for anybody. I don't care if you're 5'11 or 6'5". You need to be completing more than 50% of your passes. But it's just one of those things where Marcus Freeman even said it today, and he said some things that we should probably be questioning over the last couple of weeks. But I agreed with this when he said it. It's just kind of a, a regression to the mean because – Drew Pine wasn't ever going to be a super prolific, light it up, holy cow, this guy's a Heisman Trophy contender out of nowhere type of guy. He came in and all Notre Dame fans could hope for were serviceable outings. Now, he gave you more than that against North Carolina and, and I would argue against BYU as well. So maybe the bar was set a little too high and he had a little bit of his own hand in doing that, but look, this is, this is not even close to that bar, and I would say it's below it. So if the bar is, hey, man, go out there, make the right decisions, don't throw interceptions, move the chains on, on third and intermediate with accurate passes, then he hasn't been doing that. So, again, it's not going to work against teams like Syracuse and Clemson where you have a guy that 
I mean, how many times did Notre Dame, and they end up getting, I think it was nine of 17 third down conversions, but early in that game, I think they were closer to one-fourth in terms of how many of those they were converting. They were somewhere around three for 12 before they rattled off five or six in a row. So if you have a guy quarterbacking your team and you're facing third and six and you know, well, he's probably going to force it to one guy here right now, and the defense knows that, so they're going to bracket him and put two or three guys on him, and our offense is coming off the field at that is the way you're looking at it, which right now with Notre Dame, that's kind of the case, then you're not in a really good spot. So to, to, to circle back around and answer your, your question, it's very concerning if that's kind of where Notre Dame is offensively right now. He's Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Three consecutive possessions in the first quarter. There was a catch interference call against UNLV and then back-to-back block punts by Isaiah Foskey. Notre Dame had the football at the UNLV 43, UNLV 20, UNLV 14. I'll let people decide if 13 points is what you should be looking for in that sequence with a short field, but it was a touchdown and two field goals, including getting the ball at the UNLV 14. They could only muster a 27-yard field goal. It seems like we've talked for the last couple of years about red zone offensive issues. Marcus Freeman was asked about some of those red zone offensive woes. Well, it's frustrating because it isn't like we do a whole bunch of different things on a red zone. They don't do a whole lot of things in the red zone. So it sounds like, Tyler, they have simplified things down around the red zone, but yet the results are very inconsistent. I'm just going to throw a dart at the board. Do you think part of the problem is they just don't have an identity on offense to help them in that spot, or they're not able to run the football well enough when the opposition knows they're going to run the football? What do you see when you watch film of Notre Dame's offense in the red zone? Yeah, I think it's a whole lot of things, and I think that's why Notre Dame has tried to simplify it because they said, okay, if we could just – try to do the same things over and over once we get down there and if they work then we're going to stick to those things the problem is those things haven't worked and I don't know if I totally agree with with Marcus when he says we don't do a whole lot I I think Notre Dame's been down there and enough things have gone wrong that we've seen a whole lot of things but the, the one common thread is all of those things don't really work and you have to realize that football is a pretty there's a fine line in a lot of these things when you mention those three occurrences and only getting 13 points, I would say 17 points is, is really good in that situation. So that is just turning that one instance where you said they started on the 14 yard mm-hmm. line into a touchdown. If you score a touchdown there, okay, maybe you're going to settle for a field goal when you get set up on the plus side. It, it happens sometimes for it to happen twice. All of a sudden you're turning that ratio in the other team's favor because 13 points sounds a whole lot worse than 17 points. So, and and just to answer the question at large, yes, I think it is that Notre Dame doesn't really have a really solid offensive identity or structure or scheme, whatever you want to call it. They get down there and football's a mental game too. I, I think they honestly get in their own heads a little bit and they get on the field and they're thinking, oh man, our special teams just set us up and we need to score a touchdown here. Our defense gave us this great opportunity we need to score a touchdown right here and they just don't do it and whether that's because they have a backup turn starter at quarterback and 
Maybe the confidence is low from that standpoint, and this is not the same guy that we saw in Chapel Hill or in, in Las Vegas. I'm not sure. And then, obviously, running the football is huge, too. You mentioned yeah. that. You can't, you can't get behind the sticks. If, if you're running into a wall and you're facing second and nine or even second and eight, you're like, oh, man, I'm not sure we're going to get these yards. And then what did I mention a little bit earlier? Notre Dame has had – a ton of these third and four, third and five, third and six situations where, yeah, it's probably a little too lengthy to run. Well, the defense knows exactly what you're thinking when you line up the pass on third and six. The ball's going to number 87, and he catches a lot of a lot of footballs, and he makes a lot of really good plays. But when the defense knows what's coming from that standpoint, it's just as easy as lining up and putting eight in the box and stopping the run, if you ask me. Three guys versus one guy. I don't care if that one guy is Superman and Michael Mayer is pretty darn close. The, the odds and the numbers are usually going to win out in those scenarios. Mm. Tyler, I know with you working at Blue and Gold Illustrated, you take the time to listen to Irish fans who comment on everything involving this football team. And for several weeks, there has been an outpouring of messages being posted about Tobias Merriweather, the freshman wide receiver. In the ball game against UNLV in the first quarter, you see him line up on the right side of the formation in the first quarter. His fellow wide receiver pushes him over to the opposite side of the field. You see Drew Pine waving him over there. After the play, Chancey Stuckey, I think, by my way of looking at the video, was upset at Merriweather, was shaking his head because it appears that Tobias lined up in the wrong spot. That's not the first time that's happened this year. That play makes me think of two things. Number one, why does this keep happening? What is Tobias not understanding about the way you line up in the different formations? And the second thing I think of, what can the coaching staff do? What have they have not done in order to get this through to him? Because that is the basics of becoming a wide receiver before you even take a step on the play where you might have to change your route. You can't even get lined up properly consistently this is very very frustrating knowing what this guy could do for this team yeah absolutely and I saw it the same way as you when I was sitting in the Notre Dame stadium press box I could see from across the way the the Notre Dame sideline is on the other side of the field from where we're sitting nine stories high I didn't even need my binoculars to be like (laughs) Nancy Stuckey is really mad at Tobias Merriweather and everybody saw it in real time, too. Everybody saw that Tobias Merriweather was lined up on the wrong side of the field. I think it might have been Jaden Thomas that said, hey, you're supposed to be over there. And like you said, Drew Pine did it, too. And then he goes over there, and the first thing that he does as soon as he gets set over there is Drew Pine puts him in motion because it's one of those fake jet sweeps where, thank God Notre Dame actually gave Braden Lindsay the ball on a couple of those and Lorenzo Styles the ball on a couple of those because how many times do we see it and, and nothing happens and it's really all for show and the defense doesn't even bite that's a different discussion as it relates to to Tobias Merriweather I'm not sure he's out there for 23 snaps and he gets one target and it was in the end zone and he was kind of open if if Drew Pine throws him a a bit of a better ball he might be able to make a play on it given the athleticism that we talked about but this might be a good question for Mike Singer who you mentioned earlier did he play in such a simple offense in, in high school where these guys are lining up in one formation, and maybe he was on the boundary every single time, and it was basically, hey, Tobias, you know when they teach you football in middle school? Because I played football in middle school before I got into hockey, and 
we had three route concepts. It was you're running a five-yard <laughs> stop. And this is the very beginning. You're running a five-yard stop. You're running a slant or you're running a fade, a go route. And then, I'll, you know, we get into maybe some corners and some posts as, as we get into the seventh and eighth grade and stuff. But was Tobias Merriweather's offense that simple where it was like, hey, you're taller than everyone, you're faster than everyone, we're just going to throw you the ball up top, and, and if you make a play, awesome, we're going to win a football game. If you don't, we're going to keep coming to you. I don't know. Maybe it was like that because it, it is very apparent that Notre Dame does not even have that complex of an offensive mm-hmm. system. If you watch the route trees, there's not a whole lot going on there. I mean, this is not some of those offenses that you see that are putting up 40, 50 points a game, and he just can't get a hang of it. So uh, I, I wish I had an answer for you, and I, I guarantee you Tommy Reese wishes he had an answer. Chancey Stocky losing his mind at, at Merriweather on the sideline. He wishes he had an answer, and if Marcus Freeman had an answer, Tamiris Merriweather would probably have five or six touchdowns this season. I wonder if cross-training all three positions maybe was too much overload of information. Yeah. I don't know. I'm taking a guess just like everybody else. So let me get to the defense real quick. 299 yards allowed. They gave up a 74-yard run and a 47-yard run. And this UNLV team was out without their two best offensive players that had put up a total of 14 points the last two weeks against San Jose State and Air Force. They walk away with 21 against the Irish. So... How do we decide if this was a successful day or not for the Irish defense? Well, I'll tell you right away that I do not think it was a successful day. When you weigh all those circumstances, Doug Brumfield is an absolute athlete at quarterback. I was standing on the field when UNLV was walking up the tunnel after the game, and I was like, whoa, that guy looks like a difference maker athlete, and he is. He was having an awesome season until he sustained that concussion a couple weeks ago. And Aiden Robbins is, uh, for all intents and purposes, he went to Louisville uh, out, out of high school and never really got going there in two years that he was there. But he's a power five type of athlete. Uh, Marcus Freeman could not get him to go to Cincinnati when he was down there, recruited him as a linebacker. You're missing those two guys, by far the two best offensive weapons. And like you said, scored seven points against Air Force, scored seven points against San Jose State. They come into Notre Dame Stadium rack up 300 yards, and score 21 points. There were tackling miscues again. There were The passing defense was like we've seen from Notre Dame all season. They kept guys in front of them. Uh, they didn't really let anyone break loose in the passing game. But, I mean, this is why Notre Dame only has – is one of the worst teams in terms of passes broken up in the country. They went into that game ranked number 130 out of 131 teams in the FBS – they're just not making plays on the football. And, again, you, you don't see any turnovers in this game. And you lose the turnover battle to a really bad UNLV team. So, from a defensive perspective, I, I would not call this a win. And my report card after the game, if you read that, you might say, whoa, how does Notre Dame have all these Cs? And I don't, even, I don't know if I put a D on there. But they weren't good grades. And that's just because it wasn't a great performance. It, it wasn't a shutdown performance from the Notre Dame defense like a lot of people mm. would have hoped for. Finally, Tyler, as we start to wind down this conversation, I want to bring up Syracuse for a second because they're a 6-1 and one football team. They had Clemson down in Death Valley on Saturday before losing 27-21. Their outstanding running back, Sean Tucker, only got five carries in the game and 
that was a topic of conversation after the game. So fair to say he's going to be well-rested for this game against (laughs) Notre Dame. But I also want to bring up Garrett Schrader, the quarterback who's completing 70% of his throws this year. He is also a team in rushing yards with 371, tied for the team lead and rushing touchdowns with six. You have a little familiarity with Garrett Schrader, so give Irish fans a small sample of what they might expect with Schrader at quarterback for Syracuse. Yeah, I covered him for a couple seasons while I was covering Mississippi State, and he started a few games as a true freshman uh, before kind of losing the job to Will Rogers, who's setting all kinds of records now. But that guy is a gamer, and go look at some of his highlights, not only at Syracuse, but I mean, he was making highlights at Mississippi State, mainly as a runner down there. But the thing that he has done at Syracuse has become a very efficient passer. He doesn't turn the ball over. He completes a lot of passes, as you mentioned. So when you combine with the strides he's made as a passer with everything he can do as a runner, it's pretty scary for Notre Dame because I've seen enough running quarterbacks do damage against Notre Dame and some guys that aren't even supposed to run, like Drake May this year, Jack Plummer this year. They did a little bit of damage with their legs against the Notre Dame defense. So when you have a guy that that wants to run and likes to run and and can do it at a really high level, but he can also drop back and beat you with uh, not necessarily prolific passing, but really accurate passing, and he can make your day really long defensively, it's going to be a really tough challenge. I I think this is – Jaron Hall wasn't really at his best, I would say, in that BYU game, so – this is really the toughest test quarterback-wise that Notre Dame has faced going all the way back to Drake May. So they're going to really have to kind of pony up and and go after this guy because he's a pretty good one. All right. Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, is still reviewing the UNLV game with your eyes set, of course, on the matchup with Syracuse this week. What do you guys have going on right now at blueandgold.com? Yeah, right when you called, I was working on uh, an, an analysis piece looking at every single Drew Pine incomplete pass. So Mm. there were 14 of those, just as there were 14 completed passes. So go there tomorrow morning to blueandgold.com if you want to see what happened and why Drew Pine only completed 50% of his passes. There will also be a Syracuse preview up in the morning with a little more detail on Schrader and all of those other guys that Syracuse has in a 6-1 football team. So the weeks are rolling, man, and there's only five of these left, which is incredible and and crazy to think about but you can sign up at blueandgold.com for ten dollars for an entire year of premium access that deal runs through the beginning of the 2023 football season so i know you have a lot of time to get it but i don't understand why you wouldn't get it right now if you're a notre dame fan because i've said it before i'll say it again we cover this notre dame football team unlike anybody else on the beat and it's the best place to go if you're looking for fighting Irish football news and and notes and analysis. I appreciate you doing this. Always great to talk to you, and I look forward to, I guess, an early morning edition of Game Day Sports Beat on Saturday from 9 to 11 to break it all down, Notre Dame and Syracuse. And I guess there's no other way to say it, but I guess continue to enjoy watching the incomplete passes for your story. Is that, is that coming out the wrong way? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not the most enjoyable one I've ever done. But, hey, it, it's what the people want. They want to yeah. know why everything's going the way it is. So. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you Saturday. Yep, see you Saturday, Darren. All right, thank you. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Always enjoy my visits 
with Tyler. 5.55 is our time. Sports Center update coming up in a couple of moments on WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 